The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome back to the Underdog NBA show. Tyler Laurie, our, our star, is still out on hiatus, but we called in the best guest we have, most appearances. Most successful points made. He survived our NBA Jam podcast, which my brother called the worst conceived idea ever. But still, Blake made it enjoyable. Blake J. Harris, super author. Thanks for coming back. Uh, I mean, as my wife always says, when people say that my books are the worst thing ever written, haters going to hate. So I'm sorry, Dontrick. <laughs> like, I guess you're just not our target audience. And I'm, I'm well, here. I think he is. I, Sadly, he is our target audience. But... Um, but Blake I, I, always is a great guest because you're, you're a huge NBA fan and you have so much like intellectual credibility. If you don't know Blake, you haven't heard the other podcasts, obviously wrote console wars. He wrote, um, what, what would you call the other one? Future history of the future about virtual uh, reality. It was like a, a scrappy underdog tech story turned political thriller. That was a real true story. And that turned into stuff. I didn't want to write about political discrimination in Facebook and their other madness. But like, I feel like my real credibility comes from some of the stuff that I've shared with right. you and Tyler over the past few months. Cause I, you know, we've been on this COVID Corona lockdown and I've been going through old boxes and I found like this high school newspaper that I started when I was a sophomore in high school, which I have to imagine was like the only high school newspaper at the time back in 2000 or 1999 that was like, had three pages of like high school sports and like 25 pages of like a college basketball preview. Like I yeah. was uh, really, well, you know, it's, it's like talking about kindred spirits. Like I, when I was a kid, like I thought it was so weird, it's like almost pre-internet, like in terms of like being able to share your own stuff. But I would like write up like my draft preview in high school or whatever. And, and then I'm like, this is weird. I'm probably the only one doing this. And then you meet Blake, somebody like Blake. And then you, you actually like publish stuff about like the draft and then like, your favorite picks and your comps and everything. Well, two, two things on that. One is that it is true that for anyone out there who's not as old as us, like, there was one of the things I, this was called like the Horace Greeley, my high school Horace Greeley sports zone. And, and I looked at one of the images uh, that was like maybe a Peyton Manning. And it was like photo courtesy of the internet. Like the internet was that abstract of an idea and like not that commonplace that like you could just say the internet, you'd have to say the website. Um, and I, and I, it is interesting. Like I, you know, I used to do all my own mock drafts. I'd get really into it. I had one other friend and we'd go to each other's houses and I'd always try to collect rookie cards. And you know, you said now like, there's someone like me out there and now you see all these people. And I, I feel like it makes me, it makes you feel a lot less special, especially because no, people you know, are more funny. knowledgeable. Like Speaking I like I like the fact that I was like, wow, I'm the one of the only kids in the world who actually cares about this, which apparently was wrong, but it made me feel. Well, well speaking of Dondrick, my brother. So we one of our favorite shows is the MTV Challenge. And it's like, we thought like pretty niche, like no one really our age watches it. So we're like, we're going to do a podcast about it. What a weird topic, but that's good. Good to be specific. Turns out there's like 20 MTV Challenge podcasts. And if you go on Reddit, like people are like, here are the career stats of Johnny Bananas. And here's an infographic on how he's done all the mini challenges. Like whatever you're into, there are other people who are more into it than you are. Yeah. And I, that's kind of uh, sad. 
because like that i guess maybe it's, it's prohibitive like I probably wouldn't have gotten into the draft as much when I was a kid. And, that, and that's a bad reason. But you know what? But like, one. you can't judge yourself against the diehards on all these people because you do have a lot of credibility. You've been following the drafts. And that's sort of yeah. the inspiration for this episode because we were, you know, the NFL draft is on and the NBA draft's going to come at some point. And like, I think one of the things that somebody who follows has followed the draft for, for decades, literally, that you sometimes lose when you talk about this year's draft is context. Like this player might be the best. Anthony Edwards might be the best player in this draft, but like, how would he actually stack up even last year? Like, I think he probably would have been the fourth pick. And like, how good is the top pick? And how do you compare different eras? And no one really, even the experts, Chad Ford or whoever, Jonathan Gavoni, like, never really talk in those terms. So I wanted to talk to you about like, how would you grade the best prospects of the last 20 years? Well, it is kind of funny, and you'll appreciate this because you have your, you know, you're located over there in Hollywood, Zandrick. I was talking to a film producer the other day for the How Did This Get Made podcast series that I do interviews for sometimes, and uh, he was saying, talking about how movies get made, and he said, you know, great producer once told me that, you know, I have ten scripts on my desk. If we just randomly made five and didn't make five others, we'd make just as much money as all the months we spent pretending like we're developing stuff and picking the good ones. Like in the end, it's kind of just like a crapshoot, which is how it feels a little bit with the draft, you know, cause even the experts don't seem to have the greatest well, the track result, record. It's a fun to look back and cause you, you, you remember living it, but then you like remember like the more details and we'll, it'll be fun because we'll go year by year and kind of remember back on this class. But here's the distinctions I want to make to you. Maybe a good way to categorize it. Cause at the end of the day, we want to have at the end of this podcast, we want to rank, let's say the top five, maybe the top 10 prospects in terms of like perceived value at the time of mm-hmm. the draft. Like, obviously, like, Giannis turned out to be super valuable. We're not talking about that. He was, like, a 15th pick. He, at the time, no one was considering him one of the best prospects right. ever. Um, so I was going to go year by year, starting with 2000, and then list the top picks, and you kind of flag the guys that you think would actually be viable contenders for maybe top five or top ten thing. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm especially happy to, like, dispel this Anthony Bennett myth that, like, when he was drafted, it was, like, a laughable thing. Like, I recently was listening to Sil Dimmons or some other guy's podcast, um, and it was like, oh, Anthony Bennett, what a ridiculous pick. Like, I, I remember that living through that, and the perception was maybe not the highest ceiling, but he's definitely got the highest floor of everyone. So it's, you know, probably the safest. It's a, what a smart pick to make, like, at least you're going to get something of value, which obviously is not how it turned out. Well, but let's, I, I, let's I, go back. It's yeah. 2000. You're, you're jumping ahead. I know you want to – everyone, know, everyone yeah. wants to talk Anthony Bennett. But, um, <laughs> and, okay, so starting with 2000, that's a good time to start. We all remember it well. Probably one of the worst draft classes, and I would say perceived to be bad at the time. Number one pick, Kenyon Martin, a senior. Can you imagine that? Coming off a broken leg, too. <laughs> Um, and then Stromila Swift, Darius Miles, Marcus Pfizer, Mike Miller. Do you remember that class? Would you think that there was a buzz about Kenyon Martin or was it perceived yeah. as a weak class? I, I, I remember, I don't, I remember it feeling like it was Kenyon Martin and all the rest, but, but there was, but not to say that Kenyon Martin was at like Tim Duncan level, but he was almost, I felt like he was only a tier below that. Like, I didn't feel like it was as we now remember the draft of like, you know, what kind of sixth man could you maybe get out of that? Uh, you know, Kenyon Martin, if it, what do you, he broke his leg or he broke his hand when he was at Cincinnati uh, before the tournament. Like, I feel like if he had, because he had been, we, we knew him from playing in college. If he had Cincinnati, he was maybe going to be a one seed. Um, I, I feel like there was, uh, I feel like a lot of people would have bet a lot of money that he'd go to at least, 
you know, that he'd make an all all NBA team. You know, okay, in his well, because there's 20 of these classes. So let me let me see if I can get this great because this is something I've done for the NFL draft. I went back and exercised and kind of distinguished different positions. And the, and the two kind of tags I threw out there, there's this term like generational prospect. Yes. And we, we like very much overuse that, I would think. Like, right. Like we always hear like, oh, Joe Burrow, generational talent. Oh, two of them. Right, and he's not. I mean, <laughs> I, I think he's going to be amazing and I hope he is. But like the, the, the hype for him is not like, or the perception for Burrow is not the same as what it was with Andrew Luck, where it was considered right. like, well, he's that, a sure thing. We know generational talent thing. Right. So that the idea, like, however you define generational, I would define it as like once every, what, 20 years. So like, if you're talking about the quarterbacks, like maybe Peyton Manning was generational. Andrew Luck definitely was. And that's it. Like, I mean, you can't have like 10 generational quarterbacks in 20 years. So like the sort of bridge term I came up with was called presidential prospect. And it's sort of like a misnomer, but the idea is, that, is like- Is that an original Xandric term? That's, that's an original Xandric term. It got stolen by other sites too. Well, um, I, I really like it because I, I feel like there, there's always, you know, we because we can only play the results, we always underestimate, you know, the situation and what could have been. And, you know, if you played out this career this many times, different things would happen. But but I think the kind of prospects you're describing, the pre- presidential prospects, are the people who would succeed under any circumstances. Is the perception. well, yeah, and, and like the idea of presidential to me was also like for you, like say the best prospect in any class is good, right? There's you'd figure if you're talking about a presidential prospect, it's like the best you would expect him to be the best prospect to come along in four years, you know, like a little bit, like not necessarily a generational guy, but better than your average best in class. Does that make sense? It does. I feel like where this is going to get pretty weird and we, we can wait till they get there is just like with 2003. Cause like, I feel like Carmelo was almost presidential, but what happened there also made sense at the time. No, um, totally. Like, and when I did it with football, it doesn't have, you want to judge based on the, the time. So like Andrew Luck was a generational prospect. Robert Griffin, the third was also a very, very good prospect and would have been considered like a presidential prospect. That doesn't mean it has to be only one out of every four years. It might be three that year. It might be two right, right. in 20 years. It's just sort of a guideline. But so that's interesting so I, in terms of so, like Kenyon Martin, like, cause he's kind of hedging this line. Maybe he's not yeah. generational, but would you consider him better than the average top pick? Is he a kind of a presidential prospect? Yeah. I, I don't remember him to be, I remember him to be more, presidential maybe senatorial than people seem to remember him yeah congressional but um he didn't he was i don't i don't remember feeling like this is a guy who whatever team he lands on he's gonna make them playoff contender yeah i i agree with you i i think it was a very weak class but it also was weak in terms of like two through five i mean kenyan martin was like a good prospect and maybe not on the level but let's let's so he's not qualifying for our like sort of short the next year high school like you know, takes precedent. Kwame Brown goes first. Tyson Chandler, another high schooler, goes second. Paul Gasol, kind of a question mark, goes third from Spain. Eddie Curry goes to the same team as Tyson Chandler, um, fourth. And then the guy I like the most, Jason Richardson, went fifth. Um, people were excited about this class, but would, do you think there was any clear like consensus? It seemed like there was different preferences on the top. Yeah, I'm really curious what you remember, Zandrick, because again, to give the listeners context, who uh, you know, aren't as old as us old fogies. It's like this, this came after uh, Kevin Garnett. Like, who's this guy from Farragut trying to go to the NBA? Oh, he's a fifth pick. That's an overreach. Oh my God, this guy's amazing. And then Kobe Bryant. And so I feel like 
you were basically picking the next Kobe Bryant here with either Tyson Chandler or Kwame Brown, like, right? Like, and, like, and it certainly was a time where centers were still valued. Like, I mean, right. the idea that the Bulls, who are a smart team, you know, just coming off the dynasty, would take Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry and think that they could play together um, shows you, like, that, or even the fact that Eddie Curry went in the top five. Like, this is like a 300-pound true center. Right. <laughs> um, and then Shane Battier is notable because he was a senior. Maybe if it was, like, 30 years prior, he would have gone number one because he had such a decorated college but like, like 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 seriously though i'm looking at this list of, of players who went straight from high school to the nba and were top picks so you have kevin garnett kobe bryant and then of course you have jermaine o'neal tracy mcgrady was a lottery pick stephen jackson al harrington richard lewis but these guys were not like regarded as like oh number one pick possibilities um so then other than you know maybe darius miles there's a lot of that hype kwame brown and tyson chandler like i feel like wow these were these guys who fit that bill of like a kobe bryant or a kevin garnett um, I, well, I would the, have the rap was... on them always the rap on Kwame was that he kind of came on late. Like there was this apparently legendary workout where I think Kwame was considered like the third or fourth, fourth of these like super high schoolers. And let me look up who he played. He had a great workout against another high schooler. <sighs> See, this shows you the, uh, sort of, uh, fogginess of like your, your own personal memory. Um, but Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler are big and he like apparently just did better in workouts than all of them. And, and Michael Jordan like was really into him and drafted him first. I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time thinking he was a sure thing just cause it's still, there was a little still murkiness about these high schoolers. Um, there still is obviously, but he, he was more of like, this guy's just so athletic and has so much upside. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely around this time in my life, 2000, 2001, that I became very familiar and very quickly annoyed with the phrase upside. I, I feel like I, I wasn't hearing that that much in the past. I, I, potential was a big word during our youthful days, but, but this upside thing and, you know, drafting with floors and ceilings and all that. So, um, so we're on 2001. Would you count? Well, let's say Kwame's probably the only one who qualifies. No, he was not a presidential. He was not. He was not. So we're saying no. no. Okay. Next year was a very interesting class, 2002. In terms of popularity, generational, Yao Ming, the big guy, goes number one. Great college player, Jay Williams from Duke, goes number two, followed by another Duke guy, Mike Dunleavy Jr. It felt like Yao Ming and Jay Williams were considered like the top two in some order. Sure. Do you think they qualify? Uh, Yao definitely qualified. And I, and I feel like I, I, I guess we'll have to see how the list shakes up, but I'd put Jay Williams on the short list. Let's put him on a short list. Cause I agree. He was, he was a junior coming out of Duke, but he was, I think national player of the year felt like about as safe as you want. You would expect him to have like a Chris Paul type career coming out of Duke. Right. He was just so right. dependable. Right. And he got no accident afterwards. Okay. So we'll count him next year. We're going to have a couple more additions. 2003. High school kid, LeBron James goes number one, followed by Darko, and then Carmelo Anthony, fresh off a national championship as a freshman. Um, I think Chris. I, mean, I, I, I still don't understand the Darko thing, and that, this is what I lose. You. I was like, you know, like there's always like, like the, the mom test with me. If my mom's like, oh, what's that movie about? And if I can't explain it to her in like a sentence, there's probably a zero chance she's going to enjoy it. And often it's not good because it's very confusing. But like, I don't feel like I can explain to my mom or my girlfriend why this. Carmelo Anthony guy who we saw dominate the playoffs and, you know, was drafted after Mark Darko Milicic. They could maybe understand LeBron because he's a, you know, ESPN was airing his high school games. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But like, 
I don't still don't understand the explanation for Darko other than I guess another great mystery workout like the one you were describing. Yeah, well, I, I just remember this era was like Chad Ford was the ESPN insider, the draft analyst, sort of like the Mel Kuyper. And he just loved these Euro guys. Like Nicholas Skidzvili went five the year before. There was like Pavel Pozeltin. And a lot of these guys were busting. I mean, I guess Paul Gasol did well. Uh, he won rookie of the year as the third pick. And so maybe it was like, this is this guy's supposed to even be better than Paul Gasol. He's like even taller and even better shooter. Right. Um, I I agree with you. At the time, I was stunned. Like, I'll, I'm going to be vulnerable for a second, Blake. If you asked me 2003... I would have taken Carmelo over LeBron James just because I'm like, I just saw him win a title as a freshman. I know he's good. And I just don't know enough about LeBron James. How do you project this high school guy playing on like a small team to know? I mean, obviously the scouts were dead on about it, but I would have thought Carmelo was going to be a, you know, perennial all-star. I guess he was, but he was. uh, You and you and I often have a similar contrary take for these things. Like I can imagine if I was a GM drafting Carmelo, but in terms of like, the objective of this this game, like LeBron is the number one prospect on this whole list, not just because his career turned out to be the best, but like I remember because we went to college together and I remember his first season, but it's not like the Cavs were any good, but like those games were like on prime time and we like actually got together as friends to like watch it, to watch this guy who was supposed to be like the next Kobe Bryant. And so, you know, I, I felt like the hype was as much as anybody in my entire life. Um, you know, at least yeah, I mean, it, you give, you know, you say the draft's a crapshoot, and, and I think that's true, but never have NBA scouts been more correct than like identifying like 15 year old LeBron James and saying this guy's going to be like the next Michael Jordan. Like, right. has anyone like given the hype? And he, he exceeded the expectations, I would say. I mean, it was incredible like, how dead on they were because we see all the time like so and so is the best kid in his high school, and then he goes on to be like a pretty good college player and like a middling pro. Like, they were on him so early. I, I agree with you. You'd have to go, if we have generational once every 20 years, would you say that he was firmly generational? I would say that he was firmly generational. That's not just a retrospective way. Of I agree. At it. I mean, the, the big, the big change though is like, you know, the once upon a time, um, you know, quarterbacks were drafted and they would sit back, you know, sit for three years and get reps. I, I definitely remember rookies not being expected to carry the load as much sort of even Kobe, you know, his first year he showed flashes, but it wasn't like, Oh my God, this guy is, you know, dominating for the Lakers. And, and there was other factors at play there. Um, but, but like, I, I, I was most surprised by how quickly, like I, I, I yeah, it was definitely 20 perception. A rookie, yeah. Which is very rare. Like even a generational prospect, I think you could have start, averaged eight points the first year, 17 points. And then like sort of, finding your because I remember thinking that it was so unfair that like in this draft with so many young players a lot of high school players being taken that like by the time these players actually started to even just reach their potential let alone hit their prime like their rookie deals were almost done and the team that like you know like even with uh the Wizards of the Bulls I was thinking like wow like that that stinks because by the time Eddie Curry's awesome he's not gonna be on the Bulls anymore well people won't remember this name but at the time LeBron went to the Cavs and they had a guy who was a big time scorer, Ricky Davis, who had scored 20 points the year before. And I remember thinking like hearing like, okay, Ricky Davis is the main star of this team. And LeBron will be like developed and grow into that role. And it's like, and immediately like he was better than Ricky Davis. And they're like, fuck, started to swear. But like Ricky Davis, like they traded Ricky Davis. Cause they're like, we, he's ready now. LeBron's ready to take over this team. And they're kind of duplicated skills. The big question is Darko and Carmelo. 
Because I agree, LeBron's an obvious call. And then fourth and fifth, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, great prospects, great in hindsight. I don't think they were viewed the same way. Um, but Darko, the Darko, Carmella, the Darko thing is great. We were texting about this, but I was saying like, I mean, as if we didn't already know this to be true, but the greatest job on planet Earth is to be like a draft guru for the NFL and the NBA. Because when Chad Ford was reflecting on this draft with Bill Simmons on their Redraftables podcast, you know, uh, Chad Ford is so much associated with the Darko hype and the Darko pick. And his, uh, no, he, 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 he's a nuanced guy, a thoughtful guy. And I'm, I'm kind of being a little unfair to him here. But, but he basically was like, I wasn't wrong. I basically projected that he was going to be the second pick. And he was like, I'm just, basically he's like, I'm just reporting what other people are telling me. And as a reporter myself, I'm thinking like, that's crazy. Like you can never be accountable because if you're right, oh, I called it. You should have listened to me. Or if you're wrong, well, I was just telling you what other teams were telling me. So it's not my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I think Chad Ford and a lot of these guys, like, I, I'm, I, he gets a lot of crap now and I, I feel bad about that. And he's reinventing himself now. You do have to kind of guard against the BS from agents and like player reps. And I feel like they were falling for that all the time at this time. Like Darko isn't really playing in Europe, but I swear his coach says he's going to be, you know, the next like Larry Bird. It's like, you have to kind of sess out like what's true and what's not. And I feel like there's a time, even now, I think to some degree, like, when somebody's hidden from view, like the hype gets out of control. Um, like right. Tyler and I were talking once about Dante Exum, who was, yeah. supposed, to go, who was supposed to come play for Georgetown and, and he kind of decided not to play at all and wait for the draft. And then people thought, oh my God, this guy must be the next Kobe Bryant. If he had actually played, they realized maybe he wasn't. But so how would you grade Darko and Carmelo? Are you giving them presidential status? I mean, I feel like I actually watched with you in college, Carmelo run through yes. the NCAA tournament. Um, Mike Sweet. I had, I had no doubt in my mind that this guy was going to be the face of a franchise for, 50, you know, it could be the face of a franchise for 15 years. That like at worst his career would be um, maybe not as dynamic, but like sort of similar to Dominique Wilkins, where he was just yes. like a go-to guy that you can count on, and and that doesn't happen all that often. Um, so well, I, I definitely, I agree. That. I agree. And it, it's funny how perception changes. Like I'd like to do a like look back on like the idea of like, being a winner. Because Carmelo won the title in his only year. As a rookie, he made the playoffs. He took a bad team to the playoffs when LeBron didn't. And so after that rookie year, you would think this guy's the ultimate winner. And then, right. you know, 10 years later, he's seen as like this, you know, me first guy who can't lead a team. Um, okay, let's speed up a little bit. 2004, high schoolers ruled the day again. It was UConn had just won the title. And so the two juniors, Emeka Okafor and Ben Gordon, were considered big names, but Dwight Howard went number one ahead of Okafor, sort of in the late charge. How would you remember Dwight Howard and Emeka Okafor? I, I sort of, this, this one, I, I'm almost a cloudy astonished. Or I, I feel like the outcome maybe influenced my memory the most. It feels that right. way. But, but like, I feel like the way I remember it, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, was like Dwight Howard was almost definitely going to be the better player but he was a project and it was going to take years. And yes, his ceiling was absolutely going to be better, but like, would you rather have the sure thing or the like, you know, 90% chance that was going to take a long time to, to get there. And, and uh, what was the Bobcats picked? Um, yeah. Yeah. Second. So, yeah. I, I agree with you. Like, I think if you pull the same thing I try to do with the NFL presidential exercise, I'm like, what's the general consensus? You know, obviously Dwight Howard went number one. Like I think most teams would have taken Okafor. Um, I mean, it's, it's almost like I feel like uh, a good comp would be if you really need a quarterback and you're the top pick in this draft, drafting Tua versus Burrow. Um, you know, 
a year ago too, it was going to be the number one pick. He certainly has the, you know, the sizzle and, and seems to have the stake. And like, I don't think any of us would be shocked if he's the MVP five years from now, every year and Burrow isn't, but you're kind of like, well, we can draft the sure thing with Burrow where we know we're going to at least get a very good guy, or we can like get a guy with Tua who's maybe boomer bust likely to, you know, at least have a few good years. Right. Cause, and same with Burrow. We just saw him win a title and, you know, we talked about Carmelo, Emeka Ogafor won a title for UConn was considered a great defensive player. was considered a great guy. Like talk about high floors. Like you would have presumed, like some people were like, this guy's, you know, especially in an era which val- still valued defensive big men. I mean, a pretty sure thing. I don't know about presidential if we're, if we're using those terms for either one necessarily, but... No, uh, to be honest, I don't know. I think because it would... Okafor wasn't. Everyone was like, this guy's going to be... He's going to be excellently pretty good. Like, no one was saying this guy's going to be a future Hall of Famer. And Dwight was such a big risk. Right. I agree. And he was supposed to be very athletic. I thought it was interesting. People might not believe this, but Dwight Howard was listed as a power forward by most websites at the time because he was like 6'10", and that wasn't considered big enough to be a center. Um, Times yeah, change, well, 2005. LeBron James is listed as a forward and <laughs> carries the ball all the time and leads the league in assists. Explain that to me. Uh, 2005, very interesting class. It might surprise people. Um, number one pick, considered the best player in college, sophomore Andrew Bogut from Utah went number one, followed by Marvin Williams, who was a backup for UNC. Um, and then the probably the two biggest names, Darren Williams went three and Chris Paul went four. It was, that was always the debate, Darren Williams versus Chris Paul. So, you so, have so, a, so, so, so tell me what you remember. Because first of all, Marvin Williams drafted second was kind of like what you were saying that you and Tyler talked about with Tyler X. I'm like, I remember saying like, oh my God, if I was going to go to a, a blue blood school, I should definitely try to just be a six man and be not that good. But people say I have so much potential. Right. Cause like Marvin Williams never showed it. But like, I also remember that we we were in college together that year. And I, I feel like I was pretty certain throughout most of the season that Chris Paul is going to be this like best player. And not because I was a great prognosticator. I was like, I thought we all were on board with that. When, when did that change? <laughs> I'll tell you when it changed. Cause I agree. Like if, if we did this by position, I think we would say Chris Paul was presidential considered the best point guard prospect in a while i think most people considered him better than darren williams um but darren williams like that illinois team had a good run they made the finals he was considered bigger um sort of that upside thing i guess again and and i think people were a little scared by chris paul's size i think he was only what was he like six feet all right that's fair um but i think everyone like all the experts like the dicky vitals like they, the way they would rave about chris ball just being like a, a great point guard i don't think anyone in this class really jumps to that level bogut though i think has looked kind of remember like people misremember how good andrew bogut was early on because he was like very skilled he was a good defender um pretty rare for like a college center yeah i mean it's also interesting that where uh how many drafts have we done now? We've done six. And other than the LeBron, unicorn, true generational talent, the number one pick in all of them was a center or a, yeah, a no, big totally. guy. Because like that was, it wasn't even like drafting for need per se. It was like, you know, the way a quarterback is more valuable than other positions. Well, center is more valuable than other positions. So even though- Yeah, and that'll really seen, come into play in a couple of years. So the next year, 2006, same, similar thing. I don't think there was a, this year, there was not a clear consensus, number one. I think LaMarcus Aldridge is probably considered, by most people, number one. But um, Toronto went off the board. Andrea Bargnani, the big guy from Italy. Even at the time, it felt like a little bit of a dicey projection in my mind. Do you remember it the same way? 
Yeah, I do. I definitely at the time it, it felt a lot more like uh, the Anthony Bennett draft where it's like these guys could all bust. They could all succeed. Right. Who knows? I'm kind of curious just philosophically how you evaluate a pick like Brandon Roy, like almost like a guy who he probably had the most likely, he was probably most likely to succeed. He would have been most likely to succeed in the high school superlatives for this class. But like, we also knew him succeeding was not going to be like a, a 15 year thing. So like, how do you evaluate the drafting of, and as a prospect, someone who is, you know, he was the most impactful right, right away. And over the next few years, and you know, he was like the heart and soul of his team, but also it, th- there was always a, a short window. Like, what do you do with that? Because I feel like part of the reason that we love the draft is this idea of hope. And you don't like, even if you knew you were getting a LeBron James for five years, it's like, well, I'd rather take the gamble on Darko Militich because I, I could have him for 50 years. And There's like, a lot of like, you, <laughs> in life, you never want to like judge based on best case scenario, but it's true. It's like, that's what you do. Um, and I, Tyrus Thomas, who went fourth, by the way, I felt like that about too. Like, I thought he was a little better. I would have taken him over LaMarcus Aldridge. They actually got traded for each other. Because I'm like, you could see glimpses of like what this guy could be in five years, even though he had never really proven to be a productive player yet. And then so LaMarcus Aldridge probably underdrafted despite being the second pick because he didn't have that upside. Brandon Roy, for the same reason, people were worried about his knees, goes behind Tyrus Thomas, goes behind Adam Morrison, you know, white man's hope, the next Larry Bird. And then Sheldon Williams, who was like very low upside, number fifth pick. Um, but well, yeah, it felt like he, a weird he, draft. I could have seen an argument for any well, of those guys. And, and that was also, that actually was like one of the weirdest NCAA tournaments, uh, you know, historically it had to be with like George Mason making it so far. And, uh, you know, that, that was obviously what helped Tyrus Thomas a lot was going deep into the tournament. Um, like, I, I felt like that was anyone's game. I'm, I'm curious, you, you know, you mentioned the swap between uh, Aldridge and Ty- Thomas, Tyrus Thomas. How come there was like, it felt like there was so much more trading between top picks that back then, which know, to me was like, time, I drafted like... number two, but you know what? I have like buyers remorse and now I prefer to get, I'd prefer to get Tyrus Thomas. I should have picked him up. Like, like these well, were good. You like know, you could have had who you wanted. Right. There was a ton of that. And it was like awkward because the, the picks would always have to be announced and then traded later. So like that happened with OJ Mayo and Kevin Love. It happened with Tractor right. Trailer and Dirk Nowitzki where you have like the wrong hat and then you announce it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know why they would do that, why they would force it. It was just like super awkward moments always. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go on. 2007, big time draft. Big time college year. Um, Greg Oden goes number one over Kevin Durant. This is also the year that Florida actually had won the title. Al Horford went in the top 10. Corey Brewer in the top 10. Noah went in the top 10. But it was Oden and Durant. That was the year. Right. And, and I kind of feel like I'll, uh, you know, have my own confession here. Like, I, I never. I never saw Kevin Durant as a generational prospect. To me, it was like, oh, here's another like one and done guy that scores a lot. Like, like maybe at best he'd be like a Carmelo, like a guy, like a guy who will score and you know could turn team around. But you can't like win a championship with him or anything like that. And and, and I say all that too as like a roundabout way of saying like the Greg Oden thing always felt like a social experiment to me, where it was like everybody's telling you like this guy's a surefire number one pick, like amazing and then you'd watch him and you i never was like wow this guy this guy's really good and it felt like you know are you the social experiment are you gonna like agree with the consensus and of course this guy's number one or are you gonna actually go with your own opinion so i wasn't like i was saying oh durant's a sure thing oh it isn't i thought they were both not that great uh-huh. um, well you that's your personal because i i think in terms of the projection perceived 
yeah, I yeah. fell into that, like follow the, sh- the leader, like with Odin. I'm like, I was just a parrot. Like they say he's really good. They say he's the next Bill Russell, even if he averages like 13 points a game in college and doesn't look that good. Um, he did play with a broken hand. And again, it was that same thing where it's like, you can't pass up the center. You can't pass up a shot blocker. But I agree with you on Kevin Durant. Like Bill Simmons, to his credit, really hyped up Kevin Durant and thought he would be amazing. Yes. Like that's what I'm saying. Like by being, by saying that I don't ever remember feeling that, that Odin was that good. I don't want people to. Right. But like, like, I would have said, like, I I was not on that same. I would have said Carmelo. If you told me at the time, I would have thought Carmelo would be better than Kevin Durant. Like they were similar. And then one guy like had more team success and was stronger. And I, I, I would have, that's the way I would have leaned. I think Kevin Durant's like borderline presidential. I think he was just cause, and, but again, it's so hard to like avoid like the revisionist history of everyone after the fact claiming that they would have taken him over Odin. Yeah. I definitely would have taken Odin too. If I was choosing between those two, cause I guess in that social experiment I described, I would have lost. I would have yeah. been like, well, and, and Durant had amazing stats. What brings me to 2008 is really interesting. Cause Derek Rose went number one um, after leading Memphis to the title game. Number two was Michael Beasley whom if you look at the stats was even better than Kevin Durant in college. Like, I don't know why Michael Beasley is not a superstar. It's probably a personality issue. Um, but do you I, think I was going to say, I would, I would list Beasley as, as presidential or even higher than Durant going into the draft. Like I felt like right. they had identical and do you sorts think, of, do you, it was kind of a surprise that he didn't go number one based on the stats. Do you think Rose was on that same caliber or not? I would have, no, I thought that the, <laughs> the higher the more hyped prospect was Beasley and I was very surprised that Rose was drafted number one of of course that turned out to be correct even even with even with the injury Rose is still well I think people probably like talked to Beasley and saw that he was a little wild a bit of a wild card but look at Michael Beasley's stats in college as a freshman 26 points a game 12 rebounds 1.6 blocks made 38 percent of his threes 52% 52% of his field goals grabbed four offensive rebounds a game and I took mean, a like, no nothing Kansas state team. Just like Durant took like a, you know, a, um, a very hot and cold Texas team and like made them, they were on ESPN all the time. They were a big time team. Uh, neither had a great season, but they felt like they were in all these big games and they were a big deal. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think Beasley was a, what we call presidential prospect. I thought he, you know, personality aside, I thought he would be like a 25 point game scorer and like really be like an MVP level player. Um, All right, let's get real for a second. What about in this? Do you consider a presidential prospect OJ Mayo? Because he definitely like he started the season. Like I, to me, he was almost in that tier of like Andrew Wiggins, like one below LeBron James when he started the season. Like I feel like this guy is like this. I felt like going into the season that he was a, almost a generational talent. Was how yeah, we, and was especially like growing up in LA, like he was a big deal. Went to USC. It felt like he was almost like Jesus Shuttlesworth. Like he was like that kind of yeah. player where it's like he he was hyped in high school too. Um, right. I don't know. I I think maybe by the time of the draft he wasn't quite as high, but he was certainly a bigger name than Russell Westbrook, who went fourth, and Kevin Love went fifth. The same team, but like I think people were doubting Kevin Love just based on his skin and his body type and everything. Um. Right. Mayo's up there. I don't know if I would call him presidential. Okay, next class is really interesting because Blake Griffin was a freshman with that group but ended up going back to college, ended up being the best player in college that sophomore year and went number one pretty decisively. I mean, right. number two is 
the beat. James Harden went three, Tyreek Evans four. And then this is also the famous class where Minnesota took Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn over Steph Curry, but no one was considering Steph Curry one of the top three prospects. How do you define Blake Griffin? Uh, maybe the most uh, presidential, aside from LeBron James on this list, I guess maybe Odin was a little bit higher. I, I definitely felt like he was the surest of sure things. He was so dominant in college, such, you know, seemingly versatile. So even as the league is transitioning here towards, you know, a little bit more of a pace, um, you know, no longer the next draft is going to have a point guard draft number one, which is blasphemy. And Rose was just drafted before. I, I feel like Griffin was as, as sure as it gets, as hype as it gets and, and generally lived up to it, especially the first few years. What, what about, yeah. I mean, after this first year, I would consider him a president. Cause I mean, like you just didn't see guys like that who had proven like in a way proven track records. Cause he had been, you know, really good as a freshman. And then he was really, really good as a sophomore. He, I mean, if you wanted to rank like consensus number ones, he was about as consensus as it gets. He averaged 22 and 14, um, could handle the ball shot. Right, yeah, compared to all the other guys on this list, uh, you know, even not, he was, he was kind of like, like Odin Bogut. It was, Bogut, it was Howard. Little, I would say it's a mini version of Zion. Like he yeah, was just like, that's a, man a good way to put boys it. And man and boys. You knew that he could sh- actually shoot the ball. He wasn't just like a post player or finisher. Um, and he could be trusted to sort of run the offense through him. So okay, let's was, write him down. We'll write him down. 2010. It was sort of known. Kentucky had a super team. John wall. DeMarcus went number one. DeMarcus cousins went number five um, because of personality issues. Evan Turner was sort of in the mix. I think some people had him number one. He ended up going number two. Do you consider John Wall a presidential prospect? And how do you compare him to Derrick Rose? You know, same coach a couple years earlier. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point that you brought up Derrick Rose, because I think um, there's always a recency bias. And what's the version for recency bias that's actually kind of good, where it's like, you know, similar system. Like, you know, I feel like the success of Derrick Rose and the way that he was played by John Calipari sort of was an indicator that there were similar sorts of talents. Um long roundabout way of saying that I, I felt like he was presidential. I felt like he was going to be a huge difference maker, uh, partly too, because he was just, he was the guy who felt the fastest since Iverson, just like where he just always seems to be having the turbo on when he's running right. Right? and there's unlimited turbo. Uh, and so you feel like, wow, the sky's the limit with this guy. Um, I, I agree. I, I think he was like a little bit more height than Rose. He was a little bigger, a little faster. He was still had a good instincts as a point guard. They didn't advance very far, which is weird. But still, I, I think he, he, if you want to look at like everything you would want tools wise in a point guard, like that would be John Wall. Um, next I, year, I, I would almost throw. But I'd be curious to get your take. Uh, would you? I would almost throw Demarcus Cousins into the ring there, the fifth pick. But like I felt like everyone knew this guy is the most talented player in the draft was the perception. But it's like who knows if his personality is going to work out. Like, you're, right. you're really... I, I think you got to like, if it's judging perceived value. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Like the perceived value wasn't as high, but I agree. Like it was, this was not like not a case where he snuck up on anybody. Everyone knew like, this is a very real possibility that he's the best player. And like, um, if, if this had been 2004, like, you know, like I feel like back in the day, old school draft style, Marcus Cousins would have just been a more pick. Like, right. And also like, out... there is a copycat nature of sports. Like, Hey, Michael Beasley went number two and didn't really pan out. Do we really want to take another like problem child? Right. Um, you can't just base it on stats. Okay, number two thousand eleven, another point guard. You see the shift from bigs to point guards at this time. Um, Kyrie Irving goes number one after being injured most of his freshman year at Duke. 
Derek Williams, remember him, <laughs> had a really good year at Kentucky as a sophomore. I mean, at Arizona as a sophomore, and he was kind of in the mix for the number one pick. But oh, yeah, I, de- I definitely would have picked him. He was so good in the tournament. Sim- similar was- to Blake Griffin, but uh, a tier below. But like he could do it all. He he was a big guy, but he felt like he was nimble and yeah, I he was like athletic he was and hit a bunch of threes. Tyler and I talk about this. He was like sort of the test case for like sample size because like if you look at his stats he was an athletic guy he hit 57 percent of his threes as a sophomore and so the reputation was this guy's an amazing shooter you know but he shot less than two a game and he shot (laughs) you know 75 percent from the line play in australia so i agree i think he was considered the top player um i think maybe it was a need thing that cleveland went to Kyrie, but so you think Derek Williams is on our list of presidential? Because you have a lot of presidential. No, I, I don't. I think that okay. neither was. I mean, I think that Kyrie, um, the fact that he only played like 13 games in college, um, he probably would have been presidential if he had played a full season. Right. But um, there were, there was this, this felt like a draft that also was like very crapshooty. And, you know, the biggest yeah. star power going into it was Kemba after the Big East tournament and then the NCAA tournament. It was like, all right, this guy is – flashy and dynamic can he do it is he too small well, i had Kawhi leonard number one on my board he ended up going 15 no i'm just kidding um <laughs> isaiah thomas went 60 talk about a surprise picture um success okay now 2012 more of a sure thing at the top kentucky wins the title with the freshman group gets rewarded in the draft anthony davis goes number one michael kidd gilchrist goes number two I liked Bradley Beal at number three, but I don't think he was perceived that high i think anthony davis and michael kidd gilchrist were the candidates at least where, where would you rank them I would. I think that Anthony Davis was the perceived to be the surest thing. Um, aside, he's definitely a, the you know the starting five for the presidential prospects. Because um, I also this is anecdotal, so maybe this is clouding my judgment. But like I remember sort of coming to grips around this time as a Knicks fan, being like, "Wow, first of all, we haven't had a top pick in any of these drafts we've discussed, <laughs> even though we, we were terrible." And then like I was like, "Wow, unless we get like one of these like." generational guys like anthony davis like we're just like never going to be good um so i felt that way i also felt like harrison barnes because i was a sucker for like all the height yeah. like i i felt like if i had the second pick i maybe <laughs> well I, I wouldn't have drafted over anthony davis but like i felt like harrison barnes was like surest thing too like yeah you know and, and you kind of fall into the same thing i do i think you've kind of learned to avoid it now i still haven't like when a guy's height in high school like People like this guy's the next Kobe Bryant, Harrison Barnes. He's so smart. He's so skilled. You want, you know, right. He ended up going seventh, but like he was, you know, I think for most of his height, you know, career was considered a potential number one pick. Um, Oh, and also Harrison Barnes went to UNC, right? Yes. And I was like, wow, Marvin Williams is the second pick and he did nothing. Harrison Barnes at least is like a huge contributor and, you know, Marvin Williams is in the NBA and was drafted high. So Harrison Barnes is going to live up to that pedigree that I saw him on Sports Illustrated. But I agree. Anthony Davis, surefire, presidential, if not higher. And next year was like a hard year to figure out. 2013, I think most people thought Victor Oladipo was the safest pick. He ended up going number two. Um, I really like New Orleans Noel, but he got hurt, ended up going number six. Number one pick, Anthony Bennett from UNLV, freshman, goes to Cleveland. I think that the part of the surprise of the pick was that it was never mocked that way. No one really knew who was going to go number one. And then this guy who was not, you know, considered the number one pick ends up going number one. But you, how do you remember Anthony Bennett? I, I remember that as like, I feel like this is the most accurately hyped 
draft in recent memory. Because it feels like every year it's like, or next year's the big year, or next year's the big year for quarterbacks. I feel like everyone knew going to this draft, like this draft stinks. Um, and anyone you draft up to Nerland Soel, like you're, you're, that's pretty reasonable. Like they're all going to probably be contributors. No, none of them. Maybe Nerland Soel will be an all-star. But Oladipo, Porter, um, yeah, didn't like, Jeff, to Georgetown, Jeffrey, Otto Porter, like good college player. Like nothing I mean, about him screen number of. three. Pick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. He actually did better in the NBA than I would project. But um, yeah. And Giannis went number 15. Obviously, no one thought that. Okay, forget these guys. 2014, it kind of like the, you know, yin and yang or whatever the word is. Like it keeps going back and forth because then you have a super hype draft class. Andrew Wiggins goes number one. Jabari goes number two. Joel Embiid, super hyped, but I, I, I'm going to vote against him just because there was major injury concerns, went number three. But how would you qual- quantify Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker? Uh, Andrew Wiggins, and if anyone tells you otherwise, they didn't live through it in their line. Like He was almost as sure of a thing as a Kobe Bryant or a, a Ron James. Like, I, I felt like that's, what, that's how he was being sold, that he was a Canadian was it maple syrup Jordan or something? Maple like, Jordan, yeah. Yeah, maple Jordan. Like, this guy, this is, like, why you have the drafts. These are franchise changers. Like, whatever team he's on is going to be the next team, the team of the next decade. And uh, is that how you remember it? Certainly, like, and I think we talked about O.J. Mayo. Like, I think his hype was more in high school. Right. And then he came to Kansas and played well. I mean, 17 points a game, six rebounds. Um. But he still had that sort of hype as like, this is, I've heard a lot of people say he was the best prospect since LeBron. I, I heard that quite a bit at the time. Right. Um, and Jabari was just like in that sort of um, Carmelo, you know, Durant quality, like just like this guy's going to be a huge time scorer. I don't think anyone right. thought differently, although he did have some injury concerns as well. Yeah. So Do you think you, that Abid would have gone number one if he had not gotten injured? I heard a lot of people say that. I don't think so. I, I think yeah. Wiggins was pretty locked in personally. Yeah. Um, would you consider Jabari a presidential prospect or is he sort of just like a big time scorer? I don't know. I was, put, I was put on the short list. He really yeah. like, like I felt like, like the, the, certainly out of high school, the, the buzz was that Wiggins is the best or one of the best prospects since LeBron. Well, I, if, and the I fact that Parker actually this. pushed him. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like a weird situation because Jabari was considered the best in his class for most of his career. And then Wiggins was considered the best in his class. He was a year younger and then like reclassified and jumped up. And then all of a sudden he was the number one prospect. And that was probably what doomed Wiggins. I feel like if he was still with people. Right. And he was like a little immature. He was a little young (laughs) and he was a little immature. He was not aggressive enough. Um, 2015. uh, This is the year that Kentucky had that like super team. They went like 36 and Oh, ended up losing in what the final four. But they had a stacked team. Carl Anthony Towns went number one. If you want to talk high school hype, the most hyped guy, Jaleel Okafor, ended up winning the title. Um, went number three in between them, D'Angelo Russell from Ohio State. And then Christoph Porzingis, sort of a wild card at number four. I don't think he was considered a sure thing. How do you consider <laughs> Towns and Okafor, I would say, are the contenders here? I don't remember Towns as being as hyped as we sort of remember him to be. I, I felt like it was like, all right, he was the best player on this, or not even the best player. He was like the best prospect on this super team. And Anthony Davis was like a sim- in a similar spot and he was awesome. So like he's the next Anthony Davis kind of, but I don't remember, you know, the way that 
people talked about him becoming like, you know, seemingly to be voted as the best player in the NBA or, you know, going to be the best player in the NBA soon. Like, I don't remember feeling that way when he came out of the draft. And Well, I, I think it was like very much like you talk about how good scouts are, like how wrong scouts were about just Anthony Towns, you know, all-star worth the number one pick. But like at the time, the, the rap on him was great defensive player. Like he led this team to a great defense. He blocked two shots a game. Um, in only 20 minutes. It's crazy. It's probably why the there. Anthony Davis comps. Yeah, very much so. And then the crazy thing about Carl Anthony Towns is he didn't shoot threes in college. He shot two for eight in his career at Kentucky. And then now he's hitting 40% on like eight attempts a game. Like that's like such a big part of his game that you right. didn't see in college. Right. All right, so let's forget them. Next year, two, another, it's usually like two guys at the top of the charts. 2016. Ben Simmons goes number one. Brandon Ingram goes number two. Those are the t- clear top two. How do you remember that? Yeah. I remember them as both presidential. Certainly Ben Simmons. What, going through the Ben Simmons experience felt the most to me like LeBron, kind of. Like, like this is the guy you can drop. Act, like, this guy is not just going to skip. You can actually drop him into, like, an expansion team, like, any situation. And just look at this guy. He's like Magic Johnson. He's, like, gigantic, playing point guard, controls every aspect of the game, has eyes behind his head. Um, I don't know why else you didn't win games with this guy being as, as great as they were saying. Um, but that was kind of how I, I remember it. I agree. I mean, and he, I think there was a lot of fans who were like scratching their head. Like, why didn't he win more? Brandon Ingram's a winning player. But the, I think the scouts in the know, same with LeBron. Like, trust me, this guy's really good. Um, I just remember being more sketchy. Like, why did he go to LSU? I like, think he got paid probably, right? Um, I'm not going to... Confirm your blast. No, but I just remember thinking like that. That was the weirdest part of it to me. Um, well, I thought it was interesting. Like, there's this whole era, and we're still in this era where it's like these guys like try so hard these colleges to get these like one and done superstar like Ben Simmons, and you find out like, hey, if you're Kentucky and you have eight of them, you're gonna do well. If you have one of them, you're not gonna do well. And like LSU didn't do that well. Coach ends up getting fired. Number one pick the next year, 2017. Markel Fultz goes. Like the only yeah, star, but it's kind of on like Washington. one of those like flutie effect things. Like uh, you know, like even Beasley on Kansas State, I feel like that sincerely helped their program. They That's didn't true. go anywhere. That's true. <laughs> Same uh, thing with Durant in Texas. So okay, 2017, Markel Fultz perceived as the top pick had great stats in college. Um, Lonzo Ball had a lot of hype, and that part of it is his dad and being at UCLA. And how would you consider them in comparison to our historical context? Uh, definitely did not consider ball or tatum to potentially be like the generational sort of talent and probably not fault either like there was a, i felt like there was a sense that this is a weak draft but that fault is like the surest thing super high floor worst case scenario you know best case is more like a Russell worst case Westbrook. scenario he forgets to shoot and gets tried. right like that was like a true like when you say like a oh, worst case scenario but you don't really mean like you know the world's gonna end <laughs> like, like that could be actually worse like his was like a worst case scenario you didn't even think of. i see i remember markel folds getting more hype than you do and just because he was such a clear number one pick and he had such good stats but the fact that the boston traded down from this perceived number one pick let me look up the exact trade because that just tells you a lot of like how valued he was at the time because they moved from down from number one to number three um let me try to find the specifics. I think they gave up just like a number one pick as far as. But, I know. but even in that case, I felt like Markel Fultz's like sexiness 
increased after that trade because, you know, someone actually wants to trade for him. And because look who he was playing with, he was like the end of the process. And I felt like it's that thing where, um, you know, what was this? I'm like, uh, how I met your mother where it's like, uh, you know, it looks like there's five girls with each other and none of them's actually attractive. And it looks like they're attractive because they kind of are seemingly to compliment each other. Like I felt like being next to Embiid and Simmons, it was like, Oh, and Fultz is the third in line with these guys who have actually made a presence in the NBA. So Fultz is this big deal. I, you know, and I think, I think he was better reviewed than that. And then Lonzo ball too. If we did this by position, maybe you would think Lonzo ball based on being a pure point guard and visionary passer, more hypes. But since we're not doing it that way, he's not on the same level. 2018 um, polarizing. I'm curious to hear your thoughts because two college kids go number one and two, DeAndre Ayton and, and Marvin Bagley. This is like to- another one of those, I guess it's like the inverse of the Darko thing with the European. Like, I feel yeah. like I don't know how to explain to my mom. It's like if she spent an hour just watching draft coverage, she'd be like, oh, this Luka Doncic guy, everyone seems to agree he's like the best and is like the safest pick. And then the other two guys are very good. They're probably going to have very good careers. But like, I don't, I don't know... Obviously, well, he was a wild card because he was European, but like, oh, uh, yeah, but like, how do you explain like a guy who wins MVP in Europe at 18 not being considered a sure thing in the NBA? But I, I have to look at like the results. Like, look, there are two teams that passed on him. So, how can we say that he was a generational prospect when multiple NBA teams did not believe him to be so? So, what's the answer? And I don't actually, know. three, because if you think about that, Atlanta traded the pick, you know, it's one of those. <laughs> the one I met, the, okay, so I actually. Would I can see Phoenix drafting Aiden like he is what and was a specimen? Just you know, it was like the same thing with like Dwight Howard. Like, oh my god, this is like an actual human with this body and with this skill set. Um, but but then like in the mock drafts, I remember it was always like, all right, so Aiden's one, I guess, over Doncic that makes sense, and then Bagley too. You got him penciled in, and I was like, whoa, what? What? How? Like, wouldn't Doncic obviously then be the two if he's not? I, the I really one? liked Bagley. I, I, I'm dying on that island just because I'm like. I thought it was like a Carl Anthony Towns thing where it's like he was on a really talented team. He has more in the tank than he's showing. It turns out maybe not. <laughs> maybe he showed everything he saw. Um, what about, did, did it mystify you that like, all right, so the, the, one of the biggest concerns with uh, a European player, you know, not it's different competition to compare against, but also like the transition to like living in America. Well, like, let, and, I'll, I'll so, say something because you, you are a well-known author and celebrity. I don't want you to say anything controversial. It's not even a skepticism of European players. It's a skepticism of white players. Because right, of course, because it's not like no one doubts whether Tony Parker can adjust to the NBA or Giannis can adjust to the NBA. It's like, is this guy going to be athletic enough? You know, he's like a six seven white guy. That, that's not entirely true, though. I mean, I, I I agree that that is a big part of it. But like, I think you know, listening to how Darko went into like a spiral and maybe there was alcoholism involved, and how Dirk almost wanted to just go back to Europe. Like when things don't go well, like yeah. and this is not yeah. home. I guess my my whole point was that like. All right, so what's the number one thing you could probably do? I guess bring their family over. The number two thing is like bring their coach over. So when the Suns hired Luca's coach, didn't you think like, oh, this is a sure thing? Like, yeah, we're still going to draft him number one. I thought that was so smart. I was like, okay, I guess Luca's a bit of a risk because you don't know he's white, he's European, but like at least they got his coach. So like that'll right. make it. Great. I think what screwed up was they won the lottery. I think they hired him before they won the lottery. Oh, that would be interesting to look up. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, I think that's what happened. And then all of a sudden, you had this local kid, DeAndre Ayton, you know, played nearby you know, classic big man. Um, I don't think it, I wouldn't count on these guys. I mean, Luca has the best argument, but just the fact that he went third makes me think not. Yeah, you're right. Um, 2019, Zion Williamson goes number one. 
RJ Barrett, probably the most hyped second guy, went third by the end of his career. He lost a little of his luster. Zion's one of the two. Can you do you consider him generational or presidential? Uh, yes. And I was, I almost, to me, it felt a little bit too much like hype machine, but I, that I was wrong. Like, I mean, I, he was obviously fantastic, but to say that like he was like the truly generational LeBron esque once every 15 to 20 years guy who might take that mantle, I did not think that that was going to be Zion. But even in his, his short NBA career so far, I now think that that could definitely be Zion. <laughs> I kind of agree with you. I think like hype wise, marketing wise, generational, in terms of basketball, probably a presidential prospect, because there were doubts about how good he would be as an NBA player. Um, so let's sum it up because yeah. I think the only guy we've really called generational is LeBron. And I think that's right. I think he's the only one really in this lifetime of ours, 2000s, that would be considered like a notch above all these other great prospects. It's kind of nice, actually, because the only other one that felt like that is like Zion. And it's like, all right, well, maybe if the, you know, the, right. The, and th- that's the idea of like a generational every 20 years. Like there's this kid of Monty Bates. I don't know if you follow him in high school now. He just won player of the year as a sophomore. No, it's I'm like an adult. I don't follow 16-year-old playing basketball. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> Amani Bates wins player of the year as a sophomore. He's the only guy ever to do it. So if he wins three more, two more player of the years as like a, you know, he's the kind of guy who could get that kind of hype. But we haven't really seen that since LeBron. But the problem is we have a problem here because we have 20 years about of drafts. The other guys that you've shortlisted for presidential status, Yao Ming, Jay Williams, Darko, Carmelo, Odin, Kevin Durant, Michael Beasley, OJ Mayo, probably cross them off. Blake Griffin, John Wall, Anthony Davis, Wiggins, Jabari, Ben Simmons, Ingram, Fultz, I threw on there, and Zion. So that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Not working if we want to think of every one every four years. So which of these guys do you want to put on our presidential list? Being a little bit more scrutinous here. I would say it's Zion, Ben Simmons, Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Davis, Blake Griffin, Odin, and LeBron would be like my starting point. Okay, I think that's a great list. So um, the guys you were cutting, Yao Ming, just because it was more, maybe more hype than basketball. Um, well, if you think there's a stigma against the white players, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know, think that people are too psyched about an Asian player, though. Thank God he... Yeah, and, that was, and then the guys uh, that were like, I agree with you, Kevin Durant, most people would throw on there, but that's a little bit of revisionist history. Yeah. Mello is close, I think. Jabari's close, but um, I think the guys who got more hype were Wiggins, Ben Simmons, Zion, Anthony Davis, Odin, and Blake Griffin. Maybe we're favoring the big guys a little bit, but so if LeBron's number one, who would be the second most hyped perceived value at the time of the draft? Prospect who would go with number one? Throw them all in the same draft. Odin, Wiggins, no, Ben Simmons. So Zion, if you got the hype like, machine of yeah. Chad Ford and yes, all those guys. If these I guys were think- all in the same class, at just the perceived stock at the time, I think uh, Zion would probably go two. I think Ben Simmons three. I think the only Anthony- thing I'm sure about is Blake. I think is towards the bottom just because. He was a sophomore. He didn't have a lot of high school high. And I think Odin would probably be the bottom just because you could say, oh, injury risk. And, you know. That's true. Okay, so let's put Blake and then Odin at the bottom. Yeah. Wig- I think Wiggins was more hyped than Ben Simmons. I, I think the hard part for me would be Anthony Davis versus Andrew Wiggins. Because like one guy produced <laughs> really well, defensive superstar, 
I think Wiggins would have gone higher though. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but you can't that's a, <laughs> overestimate how much of a sure thing Wiggins was supposed to be. And so, but the the rep on those, you know, number one pick in the NBA, it's usually pretty good. Our, what's our hit rate with these presidential prospects? Odin busted mostly because of injuries. Um, Zion looks like he's going to deliver. Ben Simmons, I think, delivered. I mean, maybe a little underwhelming considering the hype. Anthony Davis more than delivered. Blake Griffin delivered for sure. Wiggins yeah, I mean, I think that it's almost like the ones that didn't work or even like we're on our short list or that we discussed were the ones like you were kind of needling me on where it was like high school hype that didn't actually translate at all over the course of a 35, 40 game college season. But people still thought about that potential, you know, like the Harrison Barneses of the world. Um, and those are the ones who haven't like, granted these guys are, are still playing the NBA and been pretty good, but they're not the surefire things that they were perceived to be at draft time. I think that makes sense. I, I, I think we have, we have seven out of the 20 years, but you know what? That's if you include um, LeBron. And I think that's about right. That's like almost exactly what we wanted to do. It's close to every four years. And I don't think there's going to be one this year. So, you know, seven out of 21 years or whatever it would be. Um, have you learned anything? Did we, looking back, did we learn anything about how to pick the draft? Which prospects? Like, what are the themes? Like, what tends to work? It seems like hoping for the best didn't necessarily work in a lot of these drafts. Yeah. I don't I guess the one thing I, I, when we were talking about the idea for this episode, the one thing I learned, and this is probably, you know, most of the listeners out there are more savvy than I am. I try to provide more of like a layperson's opinion or someone who at least grew up very knowledgeable about this stuff. Like, I, I feel like, okay, so in football, you're either on offense or defense, unless you're Charles Woodson. And in baseball, you play offense and defense, but you can be hot hit on defense or you can be a DH. But in basketball, really, it's like 50-50. Like you are on offense and you're on defense and in some split that's pretty close to 50-50. And we put so much focus on the offense. And the ones that were on our presidential list and the ones that panned out were the guys who really did, even from an early age, projected both. Like LeBron was going to be a man amongst boys on both sides of the ball. Blake Griffin was going to be, you know, a rim protector and a special offensive player. And even Dwight Howard was like, at the worst, you knew he was going to be a great, you know, shot blocker. Um, I mean, I guess Hashim Tzvi didn't work out for the defense, <laughs> but like, I feel like it's like the guys who were two way players at, you know, that was actually the perception was that they were two way players. Well, and also like, you know, we're going to talk more about this next week. I have a guest coming on Kendall Baker talking about the high school draft rules and it seems to me that since they went away from the high school rule lebron obviously worked out it seems like the hit rate has been higher you know like we don't see kwame brown we don't see you know there's it seems like more of a risk before that of like i have no idea whether this guy we're going to take roll the dice a couple of busts like fold set you'd say is a bust but i think that was just like odd i mean you know and beasley was a bust i think my takeaway is that we watch these games we look at the highlights we look at the box scores we don't know what Michael Beasley's like. We don't know what Markel Fultz is like. There's some sort of like intangible factor that I think causes some of these guys to not live up to the potential. Yeah. And then like, this is like the, and the Darko, ultimate no duh of it all is like the circumstance. And like, I kind of just wonder like, all right, if Beasley had been drafted by and was playing for Nick Nurse, would he have been a bust? Would he have started to like reach his potential? Like, you know, or, or you know, maybe a Steve Kerr or someone who oh, seems yeah. to get the most out of their players. Like, 
And I saw, like, I forgot who said it. One of the Pistons said that they wouldn't have won a title with Carmelo because he's like an offensive guy and he would have taken away from the chemistry. But like, what if Carmelo bought in and became a great two-way player? Would he have been Michael Jordan? I don't know. And I, and I would have thought he would have at that point. It's great. To me, like you said earlier, like he was a winner. It was like, wow, this guy, he had to like take the shots to Syracuse. What do they have? Jerry McNamara was the other threat. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. Carmelo was just like playing his role there. Like, I, I thought he... I. I think the rap against him for the, the, the rap against him is fair. The rap against him not being a winner is unfair. Yeah, I mean he's won the majority. I mean, and those Knicks teams were a winner. Denver was yeah. making the playoffs consistently, and he didn't have like a stacked team that led him down. He was like a one man team that did pretty well. Um, I appreciate you coming on, Blake, because I we had an exercise. We wanted to rank the top guys, and it kind of worked out perfectly. One generational prospect, a presidential prospect, every three or four years. Um, so I think it's mission completed. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, this is really fun too, because I have written two books and they're about very different things and they seem to be about tech, but a lot of them are about marketing and perception. Like, you know, the success of Oculus and virtual reality was this idea that VR is coming back. It's finally here. And the success of Sega was, you know, what Nintendo don't or welcome to the next level and marketing plays such a key role. And so just looking at each draft from the marketing perspective of like how hyped were these guys, what were really like what were we being sold? It's pretty interesting because you know you rarely take a step back and think about it in the context of of how that comp- of how Blake Griffin compares to the hype. Right, and, and, we, and we rarely see that. I mean, like it's always within your class, within your class. Like in the, even the thing we did at the end, same class. Who goes first? Andrew Wiggins versus you know whomever Anthony Davis. Like I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, and there's maybe no clear answer, but it would be helpful to know, um, sort of like historical context. That's what we tried to do here. Um, get out of here, Blake. Go write some more hit books, bestsellers, all right, history all of the right. future, console wars. Um, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 